Hi, I'm Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gramos. And welcome to episode 13 of the Back Pegs Daily Doha series. This episode of the Daily Doha is brought to you by the Taeguk Warriors, which is the nickname of the Korean national football team. Yes, a remarkable story this. The third Asian team through to the round of 16, the Taeguk Warriors, South Korea. What a moment. And what a, was it a, a fluke? The moment that they got the goal was an absolute piece of quality from Son and Chan on the break. And yes, remarkable. That was a great move. Is it a fluke? I don't think it was. They could only play who was up against them. Now, Portugal decided to change their midfield for some reason, maybe because of the rest factor, because if you think about it, we're loving the World Cup as it is. And the fact that there was no camp coming into the World Cup and the three day turnarounds are crazy, right? So maybe it was a calculated risk on Fernando Santos's part to just rest his uh, starting midfield and see what what happens there. I think Korea were good for the win, to be honest. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's funny, this week we've seen some big teams do some rotation and subsequently lose a game. We'll come on to another one today later on, but Portugal losing, France losing, there's a couple others as well. And it shows that the depth that is often touted that these big sides have, they've got so much strength and depth, oh, they could field two 11s, these sorts of things. That's sort of being tested this week and it's not holding up a strong as some might hope. These other teams in the competition, yes, they're playing their first teams and they're not only matching them, they're beating them. And special mention to the AFC for three teams into the round of 16. It feels as though that this is going to be a bit more of a world Cup. No, I can't disagree with you there. If we have a look at, uh, we, we've got the USA from CONCACAF that have made the round of 16. We've got Australia, Japan, and South Korea, three from the AFC, so that's four. Then you've got Senegal and Morocco, so there's six there. That's the six, and all of them deserve their place in the knockout phases. And I don't know, Les, what do you think? Is this a, a shifting of the tide, or is this just a one-off? No, I don't think it's a one-off. I think this is, it's going to happen, and it'll happen in future editions of the World Cup as the world, as we just said in uh, previous episodes as the world comes closer together with regards to football and anybody can beat anyone on any given day in this tournament and we've just seen it yeah and today was the epitome of that and South Korea, who were struggling a little bit in this group, just the one point to speak of so far, they went out and beat Portugal. One of the favourites for the competition, not my personal favourite, but they are up there, and South Korea showing what they can do and they were good against Ghana, but they couldn't get the full match the full 90 minutes performance together. Today, they were fantastic. And funnily enough, with their manager up in the stands as well, not on the sideline. Yeah, look, maybe. I, I, I don't think that really played a part. I mean, the, the preparation's all done prior to the game. So um, the messages would have been communicated and Paolo Bento's assistant was uh, animated during the uh, the whole 90 minutes there. So uh, well done to South Korea. Uh, and they were good for the win. They were the better team on the day. Portugal can um, rest easy with the fact that they've rested their midfield, but that midfield is going to have to come to the fore in the uh, round of 16 because they've got a very difficult opponent. They do. Just one final word on South Korea before we move on. The moment, the goal. Sunder Chan, a fantastic goal. That pass from Sun is, I think Craig Foster on the on the coverage said that it's the best pass of the tournament, and I can't disagree with him. He wouldn't be wrong. You look at the still, and there are seven players surrounding Sun in that moment. 
that he releases the ball and to get it inch perfect the perfect weight to match the perfect run as well from Chan and it creates a, a fantastic moment oh it, it's just a it's exquisite it, it, there's no other word for it it's just an absolutely divine pass you know you can't it just goes to show the quality of Sun there because like you said perfectly weighted just good football around and, and it was just a great move a great move Really good to see. And they march on as well. They've got a very difficult opponent as well, which we'll get to. Yes, indeed. We'll come on to the, our uh, thoughts on the knockout stages a little bit later on and what has actually uh, transpired and who's come out of the groups and what the matchups and what the tree looks like a bit later on. But we'll talk about the other game from Group H, Ghana nil Uruguay 2. And big disappointment for Ghana, but they got some some satisfaction in the end. They weren't at the races. They Look, the game changed once they missed the penalty. I feel Ghana were in control of that game up until the penalty was missed by AU. And then Uruguay just wrestled control. And it was interesting to note that um, the manager of Uruguay changed the uh, formation, played with a back four instead of a back three, got rid of the two defensive midfielders, just played one, uh, one defensing midfield, put put an extra body in there, and and it worked. It worked, and Uruguay were the far better side during the the course of the ninety minutes. Ghana didn't look like scoring after that penalty at all. Uruguay were very comfortable. You and I have discussed this before on the pod, but there is hope for this Uruguay side going into the 2026 World Cup, I think, because the regeneration looks pretty good. They just need to refresh their defenders, though. I think that's where they they might be caught short. Like, their defensive stocks might not be as strong, but going forward, my lord. I mean, Darasketa, I think that's how you pronounce his name, the number 10 for Uruguay. What a player he looked to be. And what an impact he made. Yeah, the second goal was fantastic. The build-up was brilliant and a smart finish to keep it away from the goalkeeper. This new phase of the Uruguay national team has to be spearheaded by Darwin Nunes and he didn't have a good World Cup, no goals to speak of and his performances were okay, right, but you're expecting more. I think it was because they were structurally too defensive in the previous two matches and that's what's cost them. You know, against Portugal and against South Korea, playing with two holding midfielders, what for? Why? Uh, I just don't understand. And who were they? Betancourt and uh, Valverde. It doesn't make sense. I just don't get it. And look, quite rightly, they're going home. It's unfortunate because they that was their best game of the tournament thus far. And they've just left it too little too late. And they were the only team up until today to not score a goal in the group phase of this World Cup, and they scored two clever goals. They would have given Brazil a run for their money in the next round. We won't see it. We'll never know, but that might have been the case. Perhaps we would have been looking at an upset again at this World Cup, but it's funny with Uruguay. They scored the second goal, and they decided as a team that, yep, that's enough. That'll do us. We'll take the 2-0. We'll sit off and defend that. We're happy with our three points, but then South Korea went and scored, and it's just bedlam. They got a throw everyone forward. They'd already taken off Luis Suarez and Darwin Nunes at that point, and yeah, just Bedlam, and they were throwing everything forward. They were launching balls into the box, and Nathan, you're, you're 100 right there. Look, the the Uruguay manager made a mistake there. I don't think Suarez had 90 minutes in him, right? But the substitutions made basically were to shut up shop and say, "Look, we're happy with this two nil. We're done." And they didn't counter the fact that hey, South Korea might actually uh, upset the apple cart here, and they have. It's funny what pressure does to these uh, managers and to these uh, national teams. And also, look, there's no doubt that these three day turnarounds are you know affecting. Teams in various ways, and their decision making, and unfortunately, I wouldn't call it arrogance from the Uruguayan manager's part. I would just say that it was a calculated risk, but it turned out to not work out for him and his nation, unfortunately. And they're going home, and they're going home indeed. The masters of the quote unquote dark arts, Uruguay, 
they uh, they do all they have to do to win. Would you say Portugal are the masters or Uruguay? I think the Uruguayans. I think that's a fair call. I would say Uruguay. Yeah, followed by Portugal. Yep. And in club football, the comparison is obviously Atletico Madrid. It's a, it's a very similar feel to the team. Uh, who are they? <laughs> that's Madrid's other team you're talking about. Yeah, but Madrid's second team. Yeah, Madrid, yeah. Well, actually, I'd say fourth team because I think Rayo Cano and Getafe are better than that side. But anyway. That's just my own personal opinion. <laughs> this is not the podcast talking about club football. We'll, uh, we'll we'll come back to that perhaps later down the line. There is a big issue in club football, and look, we haven't talked about it, but I just do want to mention that. So we'll get back to that later. Yes, um, it didn't go well for Uruguay. They tried their their usual tactic of uh, stifling the opposition and trying to create frustration. But at the end of the day, they were the ones left frustrated. And the thing that caught my eye away was the scenes at the end where Edison Cavani was smashing the VAR monitor and they were in the face of the referee. And Disgraceful. Disgraceful. No one wants to see those scenes. No, look, I mean, and look, I'm not judging that when I say that. You know, a lot of us played the game at different levels, right? But unfortunately, like what VAR has done is there was one rule that, hey, the referee's never going to change their mind, right? Well, VAR does enable that changing of the mind. However... You can't go and protest the way that you've done and remonstrate. Yes, the emotions are high. Yes, we we get it. We completely understand it. But we're trying to teach respect for referees. We, without a referees, we don't have a game. None of us are angels. None of us are perfect. But we need to be respectful of referees. And if it's happening at this level, yes, the stakes are high. No doubt. I can understand people get, you know getting frustrated. But you can't do what the Uruguayans did at the end of full time there. I'm sorry. You, you can't. So the Uruguayan FA need to obviously be sanctioned, whatever that form will take, I'm not sure, but there needs to be an example made of here, right? And one thing I've, no- I've noticed a lack of, but it did happen, did uh, rear its ugly head today, was the way that the players verbal the referees. Mitrovic did it in, and we'll get to that shortly, in, in Serbia and Switzerland, right? You, you just can't do that. The eyes of the you know, there's cameras everywhere at this, at this World Cup. Find the players, sanction the FAs. We need people to referee this game. And you can't treat people like that because, yes, all right, we're saying that they're an example. Yeah, they are. And they might not like to be an example, but they are an example. So we're talking about respect for other players and respect for referees. And yes, get it, heat of the moment, but just take a second to think about what you're doing. That's all. And and like I said, I'm not casting any judgment on on anyone saying, hey, you know, but those cooler heads need need to step in there. Like what is the team management of Uruguay doing? The bench, get in there, calm everyone down and Get your players away from there because it's not going to be a good situation. Don't add fuel to the fire. And that's exactly what they did. Shall we move on? Yeah, we'll move to Group uh, G. We'll start with Brazil against Cameroon. 11 changes. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of changes. Incredible. And once again, they rotated their side, as did Portugal did, as did France and a few other teams. And... They've all gone and lost. Yes. I wasn't expecting Brazil to lose this one. No. This Brazil second string team is still fantastic, as we were saying yesterday. But, well, they did dominate the match, but they just weren't able to find the goal and they left themselves a little bit open to the back. And what a moment for Abubakar. What a moment indeed. Incredible. And what do you make of the... See, again, and look, I'm now going to throw... I was just said about what I've said about referees, but... <laughs> But look, to be fair, we all know the rule about uh, removing of the jersey. Do I like the rule? No, but it is what it is, right? First player since 2006 to score a goal in a World Cup finals game and get a red card in the same game. Guess who the last one was? Ah, uh, I got oh. It's not that difficult. No idea. You'll be kicking yourself as soon as I say it. And there's probably people that are listening to this now that just said it straight away. Is it done? <laughs> 
Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. There you go. It's, it's too, too early in the morning for trivia, lads. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> but we love it. We love it. We're yep. a bit delirious. We're, we're a bit, you know, it's, it's sleep deprived, but we love it. Yep. Thank goodness uh, for coffee. Yes, yes. Much. It's getting a lot of use this past week and a half or so, the coffee machine. Cameroon, they pick up that three points, but it wasn't enough for them to get out of the group. They needed to rely on a, a goal from Serbia to help them out. It, it didn't come. And they're heading home for what is a, a turbulent group stage for them. They had the, the situation with the goalkeepers. They had that spiriting comeback against Serbia on match day two. And then this crazy win that... They'll remember forever, even though it didn't help them out in terms of progression. What a wild run this Cameroon side have had, even though it's only three games. Emblematic of this whole World Cup, perhaps. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Cameroon, the team of the 2022 uh, World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does reflect the craziness of this World Cup, no doubt. But uh, great performance by Abu Bakir there as well. Do we have anything to say on uh, Brazil or move on? No, nah, less said about Brazil, the better, I think, because it's not going to matter at the end of this, I think. Brazil are, f- are still strong favourites. Nothing from today has changed that at all. It's it's that simple, really. And especially when Neymar's expected to come back in the, into the team for the knockouts. Even if Neymar is missing in the knockouts, this Brazilian side has enough quality to win this tournament. I don't think anything changes. Look, they've got a very, very difficult opponent though, which we'll get onto now. You know, Serbia and Switzerland, what'd you make of that game? The first half was crazy. It was insane. It was it was just as good as the Ghana South Korea game from match day two. I know. If only that had lasted for ninety minutes. The second half did fade a bit with Serbia's fitness I felt. They got fatigued again and they just really fell away. Serbia, oh they look so good going forward. Well, they did in the first half anyway, but they just can't defend. No, they can't defend. And I think that is their that is their problem. But also, you mentioned fitness. They probably look the, t- the team that's most tired of the lot. I don't understand why. Maybe that exertion against, well, actually, Wales would look pretty tired since, you know, after the Iran game. But that Serbian team, first half and second half, completely different. I think Switzerland's third goal coming so quickly after halftime basically killed them. Their heads went down straight after that. That's a good point. They weren't the same team. And critical that the second goal, Switzerland's equaliser, comes just before halftime. But at that stage, it's nil all anyway, effectively. You're still in this game. But for some reason, their heads just went down and they just lost it. They couldn't, they, they just lost their way completely. There was no movement in midfield to try and actually pull the defense, the Swiss defense out of shape at all. If they could be playing right now, one, I don't think Serbia would have lasted this long anyway. <laughs> they would <Right>. have all collapsed. <laughs> they would have all collapsed. But pumping long, high balls into that Swiss defense, yes, you got Mitrovic, who's a great with the head. Yeah, you got Vlavic, who's a tall, you know, a tall striker as well, and, you know, is, we know his quality. But it just seemed like someone's just banging their head against a brick wall. It just did not make sense to me. There was no patience. There was no composure, which was surprising, actually, because someone at Tadic's experience, I would have thought, you know, they obviously don't listen to him because, we'll take his example, because he's, he's quite composed, but there was no support for him. Like, you know, well, where is the cutback, you know, the 45 uh, degree balls to cut back in, into midfield to actually, or any late runs from midfield to actually get into the, to the box? to actually try and drag the defenders out. Because what late runs can do is takes the eye of the defenders away from where the the strike, you know, where the attackers are already, you know. And there was none of that movement at all in Serbia. So the Swiss, quite rightly, you know, 
were able to defend whatever was in front of them the whole time. The game, essentially, in the second half, Switzerland had all the play happen in front of them. And they were very comfortable with that. That's the thing you can say about the Swiss team is that once they get a lead, they can absolutely hold onto it. And we've seen that already in this tournament on match day one. And we've seen that in tournaments gone by. They are very resolute once they have something to cling on to. And they're very hard to break down. It's going to be a tough test for the knockout stages if the Swiss do indeed get a lead. And there could be an upset on the cards there, but we'll come on to that a bit later on. You're quite right to point out the Serbian midfield. They didn't push up at all. They just sat and they tried to play through the flanks, try to get balls into the box, but it was just too easy for Switzerland in that second half. And yes, they faded Serbia in the second half. Yes, there's fitness concerns that were present in all three games, but it's more than just the fitness as to why they're going home. It's the tactics as well. And they deserve to go home based on what we've seen from across the three games. A lot of it is football reasons. They finished last in their group, quite rightly. Can't argue with that. Just They were disappointing as far as their tactical discipline was concerned because they obviously just um, threw it out the window every time and just tried to play with the emotion. And again, where you know, you're seeing uh, people react the way that like Mitrovic does and what have you. Oh, come on, you've got to keep your heads about you. That's the time for composure and keeping your heads about you and trying to actually go, listen, we need to try and affect the result here. This is not getting us anywhere. Yeah, no tactical discipline and no, no mental discipline either, it seems. No. So, yeah, uh, quite rightly, they're, uh, they're going home. So now we've come to the end of the group phase in this World Cup. Already. Already. So we'll look back on Match Day 3 and some of our highlights from the four days of action. I can't believe it's only four days for an entire Match Day. Let's talk about our big team surprise. The team that really pulled off the upset and went above and beyond the expectation. It has to be South Korea for mine. Picking up the win this morning against the, the Portuguese side that, yes, they had already qualified for the next round, but still have so much quality. For me, that moment for South Korea is fantastic and uh, caps off a good tournament or was turning into a good tournament for all the South Koreans. Yeah, up until today I had Australia, not because we're, you know, obviously without bias, but yeah, I have to agree with you. South Korea, well done, 100%. Maybe a mention for Cameroon as well, but uh, South Korea is mine. Uh, let's move on to the team disappointment, the one that, the opposite, didn't live up to expectations. We were hoping so much from them, but it just didn't eventuate. Laz, who fits into that category for you this week? I would say even for the whole tournament here, and it's no surprise really, Belgium. It's funny, I thought you were going to say Denmark with that little intro bit. You can yeah. you can say the same things. Yeah, you can, but uh, I think that if you look at the two sides on paper, and obviously we know the game isn't played on paper, but if you look at the two sides, Belgium should you know uh, be considered a higher quality opponent, but I think their campaign was en- it had ended just before it started, to be honest. I think they were going into the, this campaign defeated, and they looked that way, and they played as such. Yes, they got a win against Canada, but... They didn't deserve it. Uh, and it really made Canada look good, better than what perhaps we all thought they were, because it, it just went to show how bad or how ineffective Belgium were. Yeah, a great fit for disappointment of the match day, disappointment of the tournament as well. Uh, I'll go for Denmark. As we as we said a couple of days ago, we both expected them to win this group and make a deep run of the knockouts. And this week, particularly against Australia, we love that Australia has won the game. But from a Danish perspective, massively disappointing. They just didn't create any chances whatsoever. Yeah, no, totally agree with you there. All right, Laz, who was your best team from the week? Who was the absolute standout? This is a tough one, isn't it? I've got one in mind. Y- you've got one in mind? I've got one in mind, and it's it's, ra- it. it's rather ominous. It's it's Argentina. Yeah, I didn't want to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For obvious reasons. No, but look, their performance, they, yeah, their performance was brilliant against Poland. It was dominant, 90-minute performance. 
performance and does not bode well for tomorrow morning. Yeah, 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 I have to agree with you there. Any other suggestions? I'd like to say Japan, just for the sheer weight of the achievement that they made. It's a good call. It's a very good call. And let's move over to our individual performance. On a personal basis, who was your standout player from Match Day 3? Mm. I'm going to give that to Bubakir from this morning. <laughs> it's a great shout. It's a great moment. His second goal of the tournament and everything that Cameroon was doing went through him. Yeah, I'm going to go with Bubakir. Special mention to Gavardiol. He was excellent yesterday. For me, I'm going to I'm going to be patriotic here and say Harry Suter. He was brilliant again against Denmark, uh, a major reason as to why we're still here in Qatar. So as we say, we're at the end of the group phase. We've had all three match days, all the games have been played out. So let's have a look back on all the games from the first day through to now and some of the highlight goals of the tournament thus far. Laz, have you got one or two that you've picked out? Yeah, I do actually. I'm going to go with Gakpo against Ecuador. That was that was a smart goal. You could have gone for the one against Qatar as well. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair too. That's fair too, yeah. He, he's had a couple of good uh, quality strikes. I'm going to be patriotic and go with Lecky because I think that was just a smart move and he had a lot of work to do and it was a great finish. So I'm going to slide that one in there. And I'm going to go with Mexico's second goal from uh, against Saudi Arabia, Luis Chavez. Yeah, I'm going to go that way. I think that was, a, 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 you know, Again, keeper maybe could have done better, but quality free kick. Absolutely quality free kick. There are a lot to pick from. I mean, I'm even thinking Messi's goal against Mexico was just sensational as well. That one's on my list, Messi's goal. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. No, that's fine. That's fine. It's a good segue into my my sort of pickouts. And Messi's strike was fantastic. And it shows that he is desperate for something at this World Cup to lift that trophy in a few weeks' time. Hopefully he doesn't. Hopefully they uh, crash out at the next uh, time of asking. But he showed up big time against Mexico and, and produced a great goal. I've also got Matthew Leckie's on here, being patriotic, of course. Uh, you you gave it a good spiel. Fantastic individual goal on the break. Um, I'm going to go for Richarlison as well against Serbia, going all the way back to match yeah, day one. Yeah, what a goal. Yeah. Brilliant goal. Uh, I saw some people saying it's the best World Cup goal of all time, which I think is a bit getting getting carried away. But it's a fantastic goal. It might win goal this tournament. It's it's in the it's in the consideration. It was a fantastic strike. Yeah, it could. Oh, look, there've been some pl- there've been plenty of goals. Look, we're still maintaining uh, after forty eight games, we're still maintaining a two point five goals per match average. So there have been plenty of goals to pick from there. It, it makes waking up at the early hours a bit more palatable when there's a lot of goal math action. Yeah, no, very much so. <laughs> Nobody wants to get up at two o'clock to watch a nil-nil. The nature of the tournament is going to change from you know uh, tomorrow morning onwards, obviously. But for a group phase to have two and a half goals uh, average per match, can't ask for much more. So we'll go through some of this knockout tree. And on one side of the draw, we have round 16 fixtures of the Netherlands against the USA and Argentina against Australia. The winner of those matches will meet in the quarterfinal. And in the other corner on the same side, we have Japan against Croatia and Brazil against Korea. A potential quarterfinal, Laz, between Japan and the Korea Republic. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's it's a shame that all three AFC sides are on this side of the bracket. And we've got two, you know, obviously we've got two in the same bracket with uh, Japan and um, South Korea. Netherlands-USA, interesting matchup, that one. I wish Australia actually had that matchup because uh, that would have been really good. 
not to be. Uh, we've got a place. Uh, we've got a player who's in front of us, and that's Argentina. Japan Croatia is an interesting matchup as well. I like that for the Japanese and um, Brazil South Korea. Yeah, good luck to South Korea. That's all I can say on that one. Well, they're going to have to repeat the performance again from this morning, trying to hit them on the break. And it's unfortunate that it's South Korea that has to play Brazil. Someone's someone's got to be drawn against Brazil, and yes, that is the the unfortunate fate for the Koreans. But we've got, as you say, we've got three AFC sides on the same half of the draw. To be honest with you. I'll be very happy if we get one of them through to the quarterfinals. All three of them are up against it. Agree with you. Agree with you. But look, this World Cup has been full of upsets and surprises, so let's hope it continues. And yes, a word on that as well, that we've had so many upsets. We've seen in cup competitions down the years that when you get a lot of upsets early doors, the back half of the tournament becomes a little bit processional where you get the big teams that just swat away the sides that have pulled off the upsets early doors and they get exposed as as they're not quite ready to match the big boys in the competition and they do get found out. We've seen that down the years in knockout tournaments. Hopefully, it's not the case this time and the upsets continue. Wouldn't it be a story if one of these Asian, Asian sides make a deep run into the World Cup? Hopefully, it's all three. I, I'd love it if all three of them get through. It'd be an amazing story. It would be great for this World Cup and it would be great for football as well. I just have my reservations on how many can actually do it. And the, So the ideal scenario we're looking for is uh, Netherlands versus Australia quarterfinals and a Japan versus South Korea quarterfinal. Yeah, Australia playing Japan in the semifinal. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. That would be incredible. That would be the ideal scenario. Yeah, a lot of football to be played. Should we go to the other side? Let's have a look. We have England against Senegal, and we have France against Poland. The winner of those two games will be playing each other. And in the other corner, we have Morocco against Spain and Portugal against Switzerland. These matches are tantalizing in prospect. These are a little bit less cut and dry, I feel. There's not too many obvious picks there for mine. And yes, they've had their moments, the lesser fancy teams in that in those, so the likes of Senegal, Poland, uh, Switzerland, and Morocco, they've had their their questionable moments, but so are the favourites in in this side of the draw. And I think this is wide open. This this half of the bracket. You're 100 right there, Nathan. This side of the bracket is open as anything. It's it wouldn't be surprised you if Senegal beat England. It wouldn't surprise you if Poland can upset France. It wouldn't surprise you if Morocco beat Spain. And it conversely, wouldn't surprise you if the you know uh, Switzerland beat Portugal either. Yeah, this. Uh, this this half of the the bracket is just um, is going to be the most exciting part. Um, I'm looking forward to England versus Senegal. That's probably the that's probably along with Japan and Croatia. I think they're the two most interesting ties or matchups in this um, round of sixteen. Actually, I'll throw another one in there. Morocco versus Spain is going to be very interesting as well, stylistically. Portugal and Switzerland is just going to be. I think that'll be a battle of attrition. I think it's either okay. Portugal's midfield class will um, run the show, or Switzerland, you know, and Switzerland's defense might just counter. You know, might have enough quality to counter uh, Portuguese uh, attacking flair. So let's wait and see what happens there. Yeah, let's see what happens. Hopefully, the quarterfinals on this side of the draw, for the sake of the tournament, aren't just going to be England, France, Spain, Portugal, where the favourites have just gotten through. Hopefully, there's some upsets still to come, but we'll see how it plays out. Those, to be fair though, you wouldn't complain. If you had England, France as a quarterfinal and Spain, Portugal as a quarterfinal, because they're quite tasty. For the sake of the tournament, I'd like France to go through the quarterfinals and either take on England or Senegal in the quarterfinal. That's that's fine. Morocco versus Spain, happy with uh, either one, but Morocco would be great for the tournament. 
being um, a North African uh, country and Portugal, Switzerland. Well, my pick is you know Portugal to end up as semi finalists. So hopefully the Portuguese can get through. <laughs> <laughs> well, my pick for the final was uh, Brazil against Spain, and that that's still on the cards. Before we get into the preview, should we do what's called our eye of the field because that'll lead into this preview, I think. Clubland. The story that's been brewing with the Juventus is one to keep an eye on, and where all the all the directors of the club have resigned. It was um, remiss of us not to mention it because uh, the, statu- the stature of Juventus in football and, and the historic club that they are, which means that if uh, Juventus, you know, if it's going to go the way that a lot of people suspect they will, it means that uh, you can pr- pretty much bet the house that Italy will win the 2026 World Cup. <laughs> so, <laughs> having said that... <laughs> Off the field, I've been. I wanted to mention Martin Boyle, who's the chief vibes officer of uh, the Socceroos. Chief vibes officer is a better title than cheerleader, I think. It is great, <laughs> isn't it? And I'm going to go with the chief mental officer as Milos Degenek, or the chief mental strength officer as Milos Degenek. And there's a reason why he's been put out at press conferences and he's um, done interviews and, uh, you know, being seen on social media. If you saw him, um, if you heard what he had to say at the press conference the day after the Denmark victory, well, I like where this is going for the future of Australian football. And we need to ensure that people like Milos Degenek are around football uh, in Australia for a long time to come. And if this is the mental attitude and aptitude of the team, we can't complain. Like, he's... The approach and the attitude that these players seem to have adopted and bought into what Graham Arnold has put together is really up there, and it's a great point in case for everyone involved to uh, to look at to look at it and say, okay, well, how can we use this and utilize this for future generations? Because it's just brilliant, and I hope that um, it can just um, manifest itself out on the on the field tomorrow. Yes. There was uh, I saw the video of his uh, team talk before one of the games, and it's just inspiring. Milos Stegenek, he's got that different mentality, that different sort of mindset that I would have expected from the soccer is pulling off what is effect- almost the impossible and getting out of this group. A bit of uh, premature celebration perhaps, but no, it was still stern, focused on the task at hand. And yes, I think that holds us in good stead. Yes, there's a massive gap in quality between us and Argentina, but most of the football's played in the between the ears. So there's there's a lot to be had here for the Socceroos. And let's dive into the previews and talk straight away about this game. I can't believe we're still talking about the Socceroos, Laz. And they've got a really tough test here in Argentina. Fantastic to see all the states have signed up for these live sites that have been popped up around the country. Uh, it is at Darling Harbour here in Sydney. 6 a.m., free public transport to get out there. And there should be a massive crowd, expecting thousands of people to show up there. And it'll be a remarkable atmosphere It'll be a fantastic atmosphere. Uh, may not rival what we've seen in Fed Square because that is just in, entrenched in culture and uh, in, in football in this country, but it'll be a fantastic um, place to be, nonetheless, to watch the game. And the Socceroos, there's so much pressure on Argentina to, to knock us out, to send us home, to progress through this tournament. We can spring a surprise. We can hit them on the break. We've seen Saudi Arabia do it, our Asian counterparts. Can we replicate their success? Yes, we can. Whether or not we do is a different question altogether. But from what I've seen in the last uh, two games and the momentum that these guys are carrying, the soccerers are carrying, and their approach, well, what seems to be coming through in all the talk, is that um, they're not afraid. And um, should the opportunity arise, they'll take it. Now, they know that it's just they've got to leave it all out on the pitch. 
and they will outrun the Argentinians. Having a look at um, the statistics, that, you know, and the match data that have come out from uh, the technical reports, you know, uh, Australia's covering a lot more ground than what Argentina does. So we're going to probably have to do that again as well. So we're going to have to outwork them. Um, I think, though, that see now Graham Arnold is faced with a, a difficult tactical conundrum here. Does he change the formation and actually put three at the back and have Suter, Kai Rolls and Bailey Wright um, at the back and then, you know, and then have the midfield stacked so that we can actually cut the inside channel passes that uh, Argentina will be looking to do and create space in Australia's midfield to be able to turn us around. So that's where the tactical dilemma comes for Arnold. I have no doubt that going forward, uh, we will uh, be strong, right? But that would mean in order to do that, I, I would suspect that he would have to sacrifice Craig Goodman or Matt- Matthew Leckie. Oh, I don't see Arnie doing that though. So it's an interesting um, conundrum that he faces there because Degenek is will be playing right back, you would assume, or he could play, you know, push up into the right midfield space to actually uh, uh, close the space there. And, and Bayich would be playing left wing back. So it's either Goodwin, you know, what do we do here? Or do we sacrifice Beige for Goodwin? And so to give us that go forward, you know, because we, we do need an outlet. Yeah, it's an interesting one that um, that Arnold needs to uh, wrestle with here. What do you think? I think a different option might be to tuck Milos Degenek into the three at the back, perhaps instead of Bailey Wright and you bring in maybe an Atkinson to be, be that outlet. Is Atkinson fit? He was on the bench for the Denmark game. Okay. Yeah, I just thought he still had a bit of an injury cloud over him, but yeah, okay. Uh, assuming Atkinson is fit, perhaps he could come in to fill that right flank spot where he doesn't have to do as much defending. There will be plenty of ask, asked of him if he does indeed take the pitch, of course, but he won't be as exposed as he was against Kylian Mbappe in the first game. And he is good at carrying the ball up the pitch and he can provide that outlet for us. It is interesting. I would play with this with the back five, as you suggested, because as we said on the previous time we're talking about the Socceroos, this is a different test for Australia. Yes, Denmark and Tunisia, they were throwing balls into the box and Harry Sutar was able to get his head on it pretty much every time and send the ball away. Argentina aren't going to do that unless it is panic stations right at the end of the game. They're going to keep the ball on the deck. They're going to try and play intricate passes, try and move our defense around. And it doesn't, Australia's defense is not the most mobile of defense. So they can, if they're able, if Argentina show up, they can blow us away, I feel. They can open us up fairly easily. So we need to have a change in shape. We need to have a, a way to counter that. The back five is a good suggestion. Maybe you stick someone else in midfield as well. Maybe you go 5 four, one that just try and completely deny space. And yeah, then Mitch Duke has to have a fantastic game because he'll be a lonely figure up near the center circle and he needs to be able to hold the ball up and try and give Australia a chance to get out of their own box because we're going to be in our own box for a fair portion of this game. To your point, do we go with Irvine... Moy and Hrustic as a middle through as a midfield three there. And the reason why I'm saying Hrustic is because we do need someone who will be able to at least get us time on the ball, hold hold it up with Duke and be able to be a, a an option for Duke because Duke, we assume, will be playing with his back to goal, right? At least Hrustic provides an option to be able for us to hold the ball till we can get either um, uh, Degenek, if uh, you know he's on the right, or you know Lecky, if he's going to do the defensive work, and our uh, left wing option, um, you know, because we 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 all need someone to be able to just uh, you know have the skill to hold the ball and be able to create uh, uh, options for us. It's interesting. 
do you bring Keanu Backus into this starting lineup? He was fantastic when he came on. He was great in retaining the ball. He didn't panic under the immense pressure from when he did bring it down against Denmark. And maybe he's someone that we can use a little bit higher up the pitch to give us that little bit of a breather. But I do appreciate that him coming on with 30 minutes to go is a is a, is a strong boost for us. Yeah, it's an interesting question, set of questions that Graham Arnold has to pose with his technical team and come up with a solution because there is an opportunity here for Australia to create history and become the best ever Socceroos team. We didn't expect to be saying this two weeks ago, that this could be the best ever result for Australia. This could be a better team than the golden generation in terms of results and the opportunity is there for them. There is an opportunity for them uh, there. Hopefully they can take advantage of the opportunity. They're not favoured to do so. We understand that given the nature of the opponent and the opponent, you know, Argentina is is my favourite to win the World Cup, but I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I just hope to goodness that I'm wrong because it would be such a huge boost for football in this country. Already we've received a boost. This team statistically is, uh, uh, you know, outperformed the golden generation because they've got six points out of their group. So, um, you know, so from a points collected perspective, they've done really well. And they've been good for their wins. So you, we can't deny them that. And I guess because they were unheralded uh, compared to the golden generation of 06, that's where this this result has just resonated with everyone. And we just need to get behind this soccer side because there is no other team in this country that reflects Australia more so than this side in any sport. Both the Matildas and the Socceroos reflect, uh, you know, Australia more so than any other uh, national team and unify Australia more so than any other national team. Yeah, so let's have a look at the other game tomorrow morning, the Dutch against the Americans. There's another game on tomorrow morning? Yeah, would you believe it? (laughs) (laughs) At 2am, thankfully. 2am, yes. Uh, It's going to be a big night for me. Oh, yes. The Dutch in action, the Aussies in action as well. I've already got premonitions that Argentina are going to go through against Australia, then they're going to go through against the Dutch, and I'm going to be sick to death of Leo Messi. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Although, look, in 98, it worked out well for the Dutch against Argentina. That it did. That it did. Hopefully, they don't play Argentina. Hopefully, it is the Netherlands against Australia, and we can have a... uh, a similar situation to Brazil 14. Correct. Although I don't think that if Australia do manage to knock off Argentina, geez, I can't believe I just said that. But yes, <laughs> I, I can believe it. And I can believe it and I want to believe it. It's a big if. It is a big if. But I don't think that we will be playing the Netherlands. And what a quarterfinal that would be. I think the USA will upset the Netherlands. They've got a style of play similar to, and that's why I would have said earlier as well, I just wish it was us that were playing the Netherlands as well. I wish Australia were playing the Netherlands because I don't see how the Dutch in their their three group games can match the energy of the Americans, right? And the way that they move the ball. I just can't see it. The Americans are going to get outwork the Dutch and the Dutch, I think, you know, would be quite scared about this, uh, this matchup. And I fancy the Americans to qualify to the quarterfinals here. I, their words, I can't believe I just said either. <laughs> a team that neither of us picked to get out of the group, potentially into the quarterfinals. Uh, I'm not going to pick it, obviously. Oh, for obvious reasons. For obvious reasons. I would love to see a Dutch-Aussie quarterfinal and... Uh, hopefully that is the case. So would I. There are good points that you mentioned that the Netherlands have not looked good at this tournament thus far. Yes, they've got seven points on the board, but it's been in moments for them, this tournament. And Cody Gakpo has dug them out of a couple of tight spots already. Perhaps he'll need to do it again because they don't look great, Holland. They keep the ball well, but they don't get up the pitch fast enough for my liking. And Denzel Dumfries, a lot of it has to go through him because you're not going to get much help on the left side with Daly Blind playing. And it's just, it's a little bit predictable. 
for mine. The way the Dutch are playing, they they sling it out to the right and come back across when the midfield's had a chance to get up the pitch a little bit. And you can almost leave that left side effectively if you're trying to defend against the Dutch. And the Americans, I've been impressed by their energy in this tournament, both with and without the ball. Their press has been really good. And it's a it's a tough matchup. It's a good stylistic matchup that we're going to see. Interesting who's going to dominate possession in this game because... and. To the, further to that point, the mentality of the US side coming into this match, do they set up with a little bit of a block and try to soak up some pressure? Are they perhaps a little bit intimidated coming into this, coming up against what is a good team? It's interesting how the balance of this game goes. I'm not expecting it to be really end-to-end. I think it'll be low scoring. Might even go to extra time. But I'm going to back the Dutch in to get through to the quarterfinal. And a lot of that is down to what I want to happen, not necessarily what I think will happen. Yeah, sure. No, look, I I agree with you. Look, this game could very well go to extra time. If it does, I fancy the Americans still. I just got a feeling about this one. I think the Americans are going to um, see the Dutch off. On that count, the Americans do look fairly tired towards the end of their three games. I think in all three, they did start to fade from about the 70th minute onwards. And that's something that can come into play here with if, if this game does go to extra time. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you raised there, Nathan, with regards to uh, the lack, the, the drop in intensity. But look, I think the Americans will be up for this. I really do. And th- this is an opportunity for them to go to a quarterfinal here, right? I don't think they're going to let this go to waste. Is it, you know, it's, it's looking good for them come 2026, though. It is indeed, and this American side is still so young, and they're only going to get better, you would think, and that does hold them in good stead. Uh, so your quarterfinal, what's it going to be, Laz? The US against? I'm going to go with my heart here, all right? And then I'll get back to my head, uh, you know, tomorrow if it, if it doesn't work out. I'm going to say Australia-USA quarterfinal. So I'm going with my heart for Australia. Um, go, the, go the Socceroos, you know, but whatever happens, you know, uh, we've we've just got to make the most of it from here on in. Um but uh, I see, in all seriousness, the Americans going through to the quarterfinals. I just see them uh, upsetting the Dutch here. So, yeah, my quarterfinal will be Australia because of my heart and the USA because I think my, my head is telling me from what I've seen that um, they can uh, upset the Dutch. For mine, look, I am going with my heart for Australia, of course. Uh, the head says something different, but uh, we don't have to worry about that. Um well, back, back Australia in to make the quarterfinal. Why not? Why not? What have we got to lose, indeed? Well, we don't have any credibility anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's been shot. <laughs> so, yes, Australia through to the quarterfinal. Uh, and, of, of course, I'm going to back the Dutch in to make it as well. It's going to be really tight. It might even go to penalties. We may see a similar situation as in 2014 when Louis van Gaal subbed off uh, Jasper Silson to bring on Tim Krul for the shootout. Mm. Perhaps we'll see that again. Yep. Um, yep. So I've got a, a Dutch-Aussie quarterfinal. Can't believe I'm saying it. Yeah. Awesome. Which would be the ideal scenario for yourself. Yes. Yes. And uh, I've got to choose allegiances. And That's right. There's only one way it's going to go. Go the Socceroos. That's it. Go the Socceroos. And we've, you know, we've... Reach the knockout stage of this World Cup now. Round of 16. Can't wait for it to kick off tomorrow morning. I want to thank everyone for listening and their interaction with us. And uh, it's it's been awesome so far. So long may it continue till the end of the tournament. So, um, no, but just thank thanks to everyone for listening. Echoed on this side as well. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Daily Doha. Yeah, we may have to come up with a bit of a name change as we progress through the tournament. It'll be the Daily Doha until it's not daily anymore. <laughs> until Thursday morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yes, thank you for all your feedback, all your support. Thank you for your reviews. We've seen a couple of those come in as well. Greatly appreciated. Go the Socceroos. I've been Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gromos. Go you Socceroos. Take care all. Take care all.